Today I will believe and confess that Jesus Christ was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. And by Jesus' stripes, I am healed. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for seeing us to this point in this year. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that everything that we have committed to you, everything that we have done in this past year, Heavenly Father, that those things that were not done properly, Father, we repent of those things and we move forward to correct those. And Father, that those things that we have sought to do for you will be rewarded to our account. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. We pray that each of us, Heavenly Father, will be benefited, edified, strengthened, Heavenly Father, as a result of your word. Father, we thank you even now for all that you have done and continue to do in our lives, and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, the title of my message today is Getting to Know Mary, Mother of Jesus. Getting to Know Mary, Mother of Jesus. Now, we normally don't do a lot of talking about Mary. We don't harp on Mary a whole bunch. Um, I guess some may be thinking, hey, Christmas has already passed, and usually it's Christmas time that we do a lot of commentary on Mary and her life and the baby Jesus and Joseph and the nativity scene and all of those things that take place. But we're going to do a little bit of that today as Protestants, people that uh, believe uh, in Jesus Christ. We many times, as far as Mary is concerned, we're, we, we're, we don't venerate her in that sense, but we do recognize her as very important and extremely important in the Christian faith. Mary uh, holds a, a special place um, in what we believe because obviously she is the mother of the baby Jesus, or Jesus himself was a baby. He didn't stay a baby. He grew up and became a man. And we uh, recognize through the Gospels many of the things that he did. And um, so it's because of those things that we recognize that Mary is important. But we want to get to know Mary a little bit better and learn a little, some things about her. And through this, I'll mention some things that you may know, maybe some things that you don't know. But at the end of it, we still... We venerate Jesus if we're venerating anybody. We, we uplift him, and we know that there is no one like him. There will never be another like him, and, and, and that's it. Uh, and we pray to him and to him alone. So saying that, I want to talk a little bit about Mary. So if we would go to uh, Numbers chapter 5, verse 21. Numbers chapter 5, verse 21. As you guys are getting there, I'm going to do a little speaking, so you'll probably need to listen a little bit while, while you're getting there. Um, so when the archangel Gabriel came to Mary to speak with her about 
the events that were going to take place for her, that the Holy Spirit was going to come upon her and that she would be with child without knowing a man. All of those things, because we've heard it so many times, sound good. You know, it, some, somewhat can be some, it can be somewhat uh, hard to believe that a woman could have a child without a man, but that's what, our word, that's what our God has told us, and that's what we believe. But that whole process put some things into play that were very difficult for Mary. Now, she accepted what God has called her toward, but it put a lot of stress on Mary. And if she was not convinced of what the angel Gabriel had told her, she could have easily walked away from the mission that God had for her. She could have thrown up her hands and said, like Moses did, you know, Moses, when uh, God called him, he was like, well, you know, I I can't talk. And he had these things that he was going through that he kind of put God through. Mary didn't do such a thing. She soldiered on. She took this, this calling that she had, and she, she marched forward. Now, she wasn't perfect, but she marched forward in what it is that God called her. So as a result of Mary becoming pregnant without knowing a man, the people that were around her began to talk. Rumors, I'm sure, began to spread. Now, so let's, let's, let's look at Numbers chapter 5, verse 21, and I'm actually going to start at uh, verse 20 from there. And we'll talk about this because Mary, basically, when she took up on this mission, her life could have been cursed. And so I'm going to start at Numbers chapter 5, verse 20. And it says, But if thou hast gone aside to another instead of thy husband, and if thou be, and if thou be defiled, and some man have lain with thee besides thine husband, then the priest shall charge the woman with an oath of cursing, and the priest shall unto the woman, the Lord, make, the Lord make thee a curse and an oath among thy people, when the Lord doth make thy thigh to rot and thy belly to swell. So, we're not in the New Testament. All of these things took place in the Old Testament, or the Old Covenant is basically what, it, what the word testament means. And so at that time, as it says, if a woman was found to be pregnant by sleeping with someone else's husband or another man, then they could be cursed. And so if they were found not to have been, then this curse was supposed to bypass them. But if they were, then some things were supposed to happen, which was their thigh was to rot and their belly was to swell and they would be disgraced. So those are some tough things to to go through to basically, after you take this covenant after hearing from Gabriel, to now say, okay, I'm going to go through this. Because these people knew Mary. The people that were in the town where she was, they knew her. Many were family. And many times they held tight to many of the, the, the ordinances and the things that they held within the law. Now, we recognize also that during that time, the Romans were kind of running everything. So you had the Romans over everything. The Caesar was like God. And then the Jews were subjected to the Romans. Mary 
and Joseph and Jesus were all Jews. They weren't Christians. They were Jews. And they followed the Jewish faith at that time. So Jesus was the Christ, so there was no way that they could follow Christ because Christ wasn't born yet, right? So they were going through all of this, and Mary could have been subjected to this curse thing that they had. Now, it would have been difficult because there were some things that, as we saw Jesus dealing with the, uh, with the woman that was caught in the act of adultery, we see that in that case, they went to stone her. They didn't go to stone the man, but they went to stone the woman. So in the same case, this could have taken place with, uh, with Mary in a similar fashion if those people had so sought to do a thing. Now, the only difference was that in that time, Rome, the Roman Empire, was the one that would say, hey, you know, they were over um, the death penalty at that time. So they couldn't just come in and kill Mary. They would have had to have gotten permission, really, from the Roman Empire to do that. But Mary could have gone through a lot of stuff as a result of saying, hey, I'm going to bear this child, and I'm going to be obedient. I don't know if she had too much of a choice, because she did say that you know, she would be obedient to the call that God gave her. The next thing, Mary reflects Jesus on the cross. So some of you may be saying, well, what, what are you talking about, Brother Chris? How does she reflect Jesus on the cross? Well, Jesus, in his course, he willingly took upon the burden of dying on the cross. Mary did a similar thing by taking on this, this mantle and, and, and gladly, accept, not gladly, but accepting, and she was glad, gladly accepting the calling that God had placed on her life. The same thing with Jesus. Now, Mary didn't get on a cross. Obviously, we know that. But she had to give up her will to do what God wanted her to do. So if you would, let's go to Luke chapter 1, verse 38. Book of Luke chapter 1, verse 38. When you get there, say amen. Third book of the gospel, Luke chapter 1, verse 38. Okay, and it says, And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. So here we see that Mary took on being the handmaid of the Lord, and what the Lord wanted her to do was to bear this child. Mary was a blessed woman. Mary was someone that in what she was doing, she was called to do. She was from the line of David. And Joseph, as well, was from that same line. If we, as we go back and look, which we will a little bit later, at some of the prophecy, how God prophesied what was to come, we'll see that they both came from the house of David. And when Mary made this, this proclamation that she would be the handmaid of the Lord, again, much shame came upon her. Now, in her walk, she had to have known that being around pregnant at that time, and even though 
So let me explain a little bit about uh, where it says that Mary and Joseph were betrothed, okay? During that time, the marriage arrangement was a little bit different than what we have. So the way that normally would work, two people, the way it works now is, you know, two people get together, they get engaged, and then they kind of move on to being, uh, they, they have a wedding ceremony and they're married then. It's a bit different back then during Jesus' time. So basically, when they came together, when they, when they were espoused to marriage, it was almost like they were really married at that time. There, was, there were contracts that they had to sign. There was money that was exchanged because women at that time were looked at as property. So when Joseph made the decision to marry Mary or to get with her, to, to have her espoused or be betrothed to her, Joseph had to pay the family of Mary, had to give them a certain amount of money. One was for safety. So if Joseph at some point said, uh, I'm a divorce her, or if Joseph died, there was money there to take care of Mary, kind of like a life insurance policy on himself, right? Then there was another payment that was made to the family to basically pay for the property. He had to pay for Mary in order to marry her. So these exchanges all came before the ceremony. So it wasn't like, you know, we're, we're not married, here's the ceremony. They were basically together. The only thing that had not happened was there was not a ceremony and there, there, there was no consummation, if you guys know what I mean. So this is how marriage took place back then. So when they were together and Mary became pregnant by the Holy Spirit, People really didn't believe it because they hadn't had a ceremony and there was no consummation. So everybody understood how that arrangement uh, took place. So that's where a lot of the doubt that this story has to be made up, this immaculate conception had to be made up. So again, Mary had to be firm in the fact that she was going to be the handmaid of the Lord because she knew that shame was coming her way, okay? Now, this next thing, I don't want to mess up your, your, your thinking on Christmas because when I first looked at it, it kind of messed mine up because all these years, you know, I looked at the, the whole Christmas thing, you know, just things that we've been told about Christmas and how all of it went down. It kind of messed me up a little bit. I was like, okay, this is what I've been thinking for all the years of my life. But that's really not it. Now, if you look at this and you say, eh, you know, I don't know, I'm going to stay with my old story, it's okay. This is not a game changer. It's not a game breaker. You know, we're not leaving the faith because Brother Chris said this and you don't totally agree, okay? But as I looked at it and kind of went back, I said, okay, this makes more sense to me. And you don't have to believe it all, I guess, but this makes more sense to me. And it's not, quote, unquote, written in the Bible but when I dug back and looked at their culture, it made sense to me. So, my uh, thinking of Christmas got messed up when I learned, do we have one down there? We usually have a little nativity scene down there. Well, there's one right here. It says, the Savior is born. I didn't plan this like this. It just happens to be here. I saw it. But we see, I guess that's Joseph and Mary over here. 
And y'all may not be able to see it online, but it's a little nativity scene. You got Mary and Joseph, and then a little baby Jesus, and looks like some hay, and he's kind of on what looks like a stool or something. So he's up on that. Well, not to burst anybody's bubble, but I don't know if that scene is 100% correct. Mary, as I looked at it and researched it, Mary was born in a house, not in a little barn, with some cows and some other stuff just kind of looking. Now, it might have been, it might have been a few cows around, I don't know, but the way this works, when I looked up, as I was going through and, and looking at the word in, you know, the, the story goes that Mary and Joseph were going around, and Mary was pregnant, and they were going to the hotels, right? They were, couldn't find room in the inn. There's no room in the inn. Well, we got to think about where Jesus was born. I think we all know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Well, Bethlehem only had anywhere from maybe 500 to 1,000 people at that time. So it wasn't a whole bunch of people, probably wasn't any hotels or inns in Bethlehem. You might have had one. They said there was no room in the inn. At that time, Caesar had called everybody to go to their hometown to pay taxes. That's what was going on. So that's why Joseph and Mary were in Bethlehem. Joseph was, bo was, was born in Bethlehem but was living in Nazareth. That's why we call him Jesus of Nazareth not Jesus of Bethlehem, but he was born in Bethlehem. So Joseph and Mary came from Nazareth to Bethlehem where Joseph, I'm sure, probably still had family there in Bethlehem. Well, when the, the word in, when it's translated into Greek, is called kataluma. And kataluma means upper room. So when it says there was no room in the inn, it means that there was no room in the upper room because family from all over, I'm sure Joseph's family had come back to their hometown in order to pay taxes. So all of the family's houses and everywhere else was full, so he could not find room in the inn. So there was another something that was going on as well, why Jesus was born down in the room where the animals were. So there was the upper room, and then there was the lower room, which is where Jesus was born. Now, back in that time, many people did not have a, a ton of land. And if you think about it, their houses and the way they ate and the things that they did were different from how we do things. We go to the grocery store, we got a refrigerator, we stick all that stuff in the refrigerator, you want some bacon, you pull it out, you fry it on a pan on a stove, right? Uh, that's pretty much how we live here in the West, in America. But there, if you wanted some milk, you needed a cow or a goat. So in order, because they didn't have a lot of land many times, especially when they were in these towns, they kept their livestock inside. They didn't keep the livestock outside. It was safer, safer from thieves, safer from wolves, and any other predator out there trying to take your prized possession, which were cattle and cow. We don't think of it that way now because everything is done out on farms and brought together and we get it from the grocery store. But back then, you didn't want your goat to be lost. You know, 
Might have been hard to sleep because the goat's down there making noises. But you knew you had your goat, and you knew you could get up and get some milk in the morning and some of the other things that you may have needed. Well, when Mary and Joseph came, the other reason why they couldn't be in the upper room to sleep and to do the other things that they were doing was because of this. At that time, if Mary was going to give birth, she would have been considered unclean. So let's go to Leviticus chapter 12, chapter 12, verse 2. Leviticus chapter 12, verse 2 through 4. When you get there, say amen. And if not, it is up on the, uh, oh, yeah, it's up there on the monitor. So I'm going to go ahead and read it. It says, speak unto the children of Israel, saying, if a woman have conceived seed and, and born a man child, then she shall be unclean seven days. According to the days of the separation for her infirmities, shall she, shall she be unclean. And in the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. And she shall then continue in the blood of her purifying three and thirty days. She shall touch no hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying be fulfilled. Okay, so that right there tells us, guys, that she would have been unclean if she had come in and uh, been in the upper room because she would have been in the place where everybody was sleeping if she had given birth up there. So Mary's family was not being mean to her. They weren't like, uh, you can't come up here. We just don't want you up here, Mary. Uh, we don't have any room up in the inn or in the Cataluma or whatever it was called. She had to be down, down there because if she had been in the upper room, she would not have been able to, the, the other people would have been unclean as well, and they would not have been able to take care of the things that Caesar had called them to do, which was to pay their taxes. So they had to be in a place that was not considered, um, that was not considered holy or any of those things. So they had to be in that manger, in that, uh, in that room at the time, which she did lay the baby Jesus in a manger, which is basically a feeding trough. So, because there was not any other room, and she didn't want to make the other people in the house unclean. So, those were the, that's one of the things that uh, we see that Mary went through, that she had to give birth in that place. Now, as I talk about that and about the whole Christmas story, I just want to throw a few other things out here as we talk. As we read the Word of God, whether it's about Mary or any other thing, we have to look at it from what the culture says, from what really is, okay? So we also have to look and say, okay, is the culture, is the culture at that time different from what's going on now? When we read it, when, when we read the word, we have to start asking ourselves questions about things that we have um, kind of always given ourselves uh, over to. Did uh, Eve actually eat an apple? Does the Bible actually say that? I guess that's what I'm trying to say. You know, these are things that we need to know. Is the Bible actually saying those things? Did, um, did was Jonah in the belly of a whale? Does the Bible actually say that? 
were the three wise men actually there at Jesus' birth. Now, I'm not going to go into all of that, but those are things that as we read the Word of God, we have to ask ourselves because as we're talking to people and people ask us questions, we need to know the right answer to those things because there are those that are not Christians that know sometimes the Bible much better than we do and can make us look foolish. So we want to make sure that we're delving down and finding the answers to these things, whether it's getting a concordance, researching it yourself, going to the library, doing whatever it is, because we want to make sure that we are right and strong in the word that we are reading, right? Next, Mary, and I don't know if you guys know, I kind of knew, but I didn't know in this way, but Mary is responsible for parts of the, of the gospel. Now, she didn't just sit down and write the gospel herself, but many of the stories, many of the things that came out, especially in the book of Luke chapter 1 and 2, there's no other way that those stories could have been told by anybody else other than the mother of Jesus. The fact that Gabriel came, Mary would have known that. Now, maybe she told Jesus, maybe she told some other people, but Mary seemed to be, if you look at her life and, and where she's mentioned, she didn't seem to be a chatterbox. She didn't seem to be like, oh, y'all, let me tell you, let me tell you. G Gabriel came, I was just so scared. She didn't seem like that. That didn't seem like Mary. Mary was more like, you know, let me keep this to myself. It said that a lot of the things that happened, she kind of kept those things in her heart. That don't sound like she went telling everybody, y'all, let me tell y'all about baby Jesus. Baby Jesus is just so good. Baby Jesus don't do nothing wrong. I'm just, she didn't seem like that type of person based on her character from what the Bible says. Now, you can go out and say she told everybody or whatever, but it just doesn't fit the character of her. And if you're interested, look, check, read the word for yourself, what Mary did and what she was doing, right? So we have to make certain that we are recognizing and understanding that Mary was very integral in the things that took place and that happened in and through um, the Bible. Mary was the only one that could have talked about the events of Jesus' birth, you know, where they were, because if we remember, as we, because these, the actual events are recorded in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. Well, many of the books that were written by the apostles, the gospel, were written after Jesus passed, right? They weren't written before, you know, it wasn't like somebody just sat down and read, uh, wrote these things down. In the book of Luke, all of, many of those things Mary told Luke. Now, if you go, if we go to, and I won't ask you guys to go there, but at the beginning of Luke, you'll see in those greetings that he's talking to um, I'm going to have to go to Luke because I just forgot the guy's name, but I will tell you in just a second. Um, in the beginning, in the first part of Luke, he's talking to Theophilus. He says, most, the, most excellent Theophilus. So as Luke is writing this, it appears as though, just from my research, that Theophilus and that, that title, most excellent, is only used a couple times in the Bible, and it's used to show prominence of a person. So it appears as though Theophilus was somebody that had prominence and probably was able to help Luke in writing this book. 
whether it was through giving him money to help do the research to go find these people and talk to them about what was going on. But he gives him, he, he gives him some credit and he talks about you know, what he's going to write. Luke does. Now, to me that's important because it means that Luke surgically went through to find out what was going on and what took place with Jesus. And so, many, as, as I mentioned, many of those things that he talked about, Mary would have had those things hidden in her heart and would have been the only one to talk about those things. Um, we, can, we can mention when Jesus was 12 years old, and I think I've talked about that before, where they were going to, um, to celebrate the Passover to Jerusalem. And Jesus was, the, the, the family left to go back to Nazareth. Well, Jesus stayed, and Jesus was lost basically for, well, first, they didn't know he was gone for a day. That night when they got to wherever they were going to camp out to get back home, they were looking for Jesus and couldn't find him, Mary and Joseph. And so when, um, so when, when they looked for him, they had to go back to Jerusalem to find him. And when they finally got there, it took them like a day or whatever to find him. So it was three days that Jesus was lost. I'm saying four. Three. Three days that Jesus was lost. And so when they finally found Jesus, they found him in, that, in, the, in the sanctuary, in the, uh, in the temple, listening and asking questions. Well, at that time, Joseph was pretty much off the scene. Whatever had happened to him, whether he had died or whatever was going on, he wasn't there. So those questions had to be asked of Mary. She was the only one that could have recanted that story. Now, there may have been some other people there, but all of the little things that had gone on, the things that she asked, and Jesus saying, you know, when she asked uh, Jesus, why would you do this to us? Because not only were they looking, now you got to think about this. This is your child, 12 years old, and you're gone. I don't, you know, Mary must have gone through it really, really bad. Because her child, 12 years old, she goes back through all of her family. And so she must have felt very, very, very comfortable that Jesus was in good hands. He was with family. Okay? So with that being the case, when she didn't find him, her heart had to melt. I mean, it had to be tremendously tragic for her, for Mary, not to have her son there. So when she found Jesus... She asked Jesus, why would you do this to us? She didn't say it, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically, why would you do this to us? And Jesus' reply was, you know, you must have known that I would be in my father's house. Well, to others, it was probably very perplexing, possibly to her as well, because his earthly father, who was Joseph, even though he did not consummate Jesus, through that adoption at that time, when you were adopted, you're just like a child. There was no difference. So when he said, I must be in my father's house, she knew based on the interaction that she had with Gabriel and the, the conversations that she had with Elizabeth and all of these other things that had taken place that Jesus was special, beyond special, Jesus was. But you must know I'm in my father's house, even though she probably was scared, upset, probably mad with Jesus, she was also excited and happy knowing that Jesus was in 
his heavenly father's house at that time, right? So Mary was, was, was a very important person. She was a storyteller as well. The stories that she told were in the gospel, because if we go back and look at what we read in the Bible, it's stories, true stories, but it's stories all, all the same. It's eyewitness accounts of things that happen. It's not play stuff. It's not somebody, as, as people in the world or detractors or deconstructors of the, of the faith like to say, oh, you know, this is just stuff written down by men. Well, it's very, very meticulous things that are written down by men. It's not like, oh, we just kind of heard this through the grapevine. If you go back and look and listen, and not look, if you go back and read many of the, the books that are in the Bible, you'll hear them say, you know, I was a witness to this, or, you know, to this person. This letter is written to this person. So all of these things are stories, true stories that are put together to reveal to us the deity, the, the, the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. That's what this Bible is. And Mary is a very important part of telling that story. Mary was also aware that these stories that she was telling, not stories that she was telling, that almost sound like a lie, but these accounts that she was giving were very important and that they would be remembered forever because she mentioned in Luke that she, that she was blessed and that for generations people would recall her name as it recounts to Jesus, right? The next thing that we'll talk about here is uh, Mary, and I mentioned earlier that uh, she wasn't perfect. Mary at some point thought that her son was crazy. Yeah, Mary thought that her son was crazy. Some people would say, well, you know, she was just going there for whatever, but Mary thought that Jesus was, you know, was losing a little bit. Now, why would Mary think that? She's seen an angel. She's gone through all of this. She's had an immaculate birth of her son, and at this point, she's struggling now, trying to figure out what is this? What's going on? You know, why is he calling himself? Why, why is he making such claims? You know, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Why, why is he doing this? What, what is this? What is he talking about? I would think, you know, if, if I didn't have any uh, revelation of the word of God and my son was out telling people, hey, man, I'm a, in order to be with me, y'all going to need to eat my flesh and get a little sip of this blood. I would probably be a bit concerned about my son. So, understanding that now, Mary did have some, some pre-knowledge of some things, but even understanding that in the way things were going, mothers tend to be a bit more concerned about their children, especially your firstborn son, than fathers do. You know, for me, uh, my children, and not just my son, my son and my daughter, and I make them go outside, man. It's hot outside. My wife would be, Sandra would say, ah, oh, well, you know, it's a bit hot out there. We'll give them some water, let them sit outside, they'll be fine. Let them play. They need to get some of this. But mothers are going to be more nurturing. Well, you know, give them some water and throw them a cold towel and whatever else and probably try to get them inside when you go to the store or whatever. So there's a little bit of a difference between probably Joseph and Mary. But Mary 
you know, she, she cared for, for, for Jesus. And when he was in the house, as, as it goes, when he was in the house, they couldn't even dine because so many people had come in. So Mary and Jesus' brothers had come to the house in order to, to, to get Jesus. And so let's go to Mark so that y'all don't think I'm playing. Let's go to Mark chapter 3, verse 20. Mark chapter 3, verse 20. When you get there, say amen. I think I went a little too far. Mark chapter 3. Amen. Mark chapter 3, verse 20. Okay, so it says, And the multitude cometh together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, He is beside himself. Now, it's a bit more clear in, I think it's Luke, where it talks about this account. But this is the same account. Hold on. Yeah. Make sure here. I'm sorry. Give me one second. Yeah. So, so basically, in that account, Jesus is, uh, is 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 talking, and his family comes to get him. Okay. And they say, you know, so they send somebody in because there's so many people in the house to get him out, to bring him somewhere, to keep him, to get him, pull him aside, and talk to him. So Mary is struggling. Now, whether, whether she totally thought that he was crazy or whatever, that's a whole other story. But she had to have questioned some of the things that Jesus had been going through and the things that God had given to her because of the things that Jesus was saying. Now, if we remember, Jesus' crucifixion was because he was proclaiming to be God. That's what they were saying. How can you, a man, especially a carpenter's son, how can you now proclaim that you are God? And this is where the Pharisees and these folk and the, 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 uh, the, the people that were over law at that time wanted to kill him because of this proclamation. It was considered to be blasphemy to say such a thing as a mere man. Man, you, you've been around here with us. Who do you think you are? You remember when Jesus went to his own hometown to preach? That's what they said. They said, hold on, aren't you the carpenter's son? Uh, aren't your brothers and sisters, aren't they right around here? Who you think you ought to come here and be telling us this stuff about you, God? You grew up right here with us. Now, this was his own people. These were probably people in his family. No different than if me or you went to our family people that we've been around the whole time, that we grew up with, and you go and tell them, hey, man, I'm God. Now, we got baggage. Jesus didn't have any baggage. So he could make that claim, and he did things so that people could see, even there in his hometown where people had no faith. You know, the word says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Jesus was God. He said that, that it was said that he could only do a few miracles there, but he was still able to heal a few people, even people that even where people did not have faith in him. He said there a prophet would be without honor in his own hometown. So this was the Jesus that Mary 
and his brothers and his sisters came to a cost. Now, if we remember, when Jesus was there at that house, he made a statement. And now, I mentioned that we don't venerate Mary, right? That's, that's not what we do. We don't, we're not getting down on others that do, but this is what we believe here in this house. But Jesus, the, the, the claim, that would have been his time that if he was going to venerate Mary, that he should have said that. But that's not what he said. He basically said that whoever does the will of my father, whoever is obedient to his word, those are my mother and my brothers and sisters. He didn't say, oh, well, you know, when, when they said his mother and his brothers and sisters were coming to get him, he didn't say, he didn't come out and say, well, you know, that's my mother. Blessed be Mary above all women. He didn't say that. If he was going to venerate her, that would have been a good time. And there were other times where if he was going to venerate her, that he could have done that. But that's not what he said. He said that anybody, which is really good news for all of us, because at that time, God's people were the Jews. No Gentiles. So there were Jews and there were Gentiles. Either you were a Jew and you were God's people or you were not. Jews didn't really mix with Gentiles. In fact, the story of the Samaritan, you know, he had, the, the, the Samaritan, there were, the Samaritan had gone out, the Samaritan and uh, there was a priest and another that had gone out and uh, there was a Jew that was beat up, there was a person that was beat up. They all just walked around the person. They didn't help him because they didn't mix with people that were not Jews. So it wasn't a Jew, it was a Gentile that was there, that was on the side, but everybody else just walked by him. And it was the Samaritan who wasn't supposed to mix with the Jew that came over and gave him a hand and put him in the inn and helped him out and did all of these wonderful things for him. But at that time, that, the reason, that's, part of, that's really why Jesus came, so that salvation could come to us all, Jew or Gentile. But before that, you were either a Jew, you got God, Gentile, you don't, and you're down here. Jews up here, everybody else down there. But Jesus came and, and stirred that whole thing up. He stirred up the pot. He did. He really did. He stirred up the pot. That's what happened. Because in that time, there was no mixing. But what Jesus did when he was called out, told that he was crazy, and all of these things, he focused his, his, his gaze on the cross and what it was that he was to do. Mary risked her life for her son. She, she risked her life for Jesus. How so, you say, Brother Chris? How did Mary risk her life for her son, Jesus? So we think about the crucifixion, but I think there's something that we leave out. I mentioned earlier that the Romans were the ones that were responsible for, um, the Romans were the ones that were responsible for, for death, for the death penalty at that time, right? So, when Jesus made the claim that he was God, there was somebody else in the Roman Empire that made that same claim and had the authority on earth in the legal system, in the political construct, to make that claim, which was Caesar. So Jesus is saying, you know, I am. I'm the great I am. Caesar is like, I I'm not trying to do that. Now, even though the Roman Empire were the ones that took Jesus away and, and did this, it was because the Jews had made 
that um, had made that, that, that decision. The Romans were notorious for being brutal. When they came and got Jesus and they beat him and they drug him through the streets and all of those things, there was a reason why the other um, apostles, the other disciples, the other disciples, I'm sorry, not apostles, the other disciples were nowhere to be found other than John. Peter kind of watched from afar. We know what his ordeal was, you know, when he um, betrayed Jesus three times. He watched from afar, but John was there and Mary was there. There's a reason. Mary risked her life because at that time, when you made the claims that Jesus made, many times they would come not just after Jesus, but they could have dragged Mary and whoever else, her brothers and her sisters, down that street just as well because they didn't want any heirs to the king. Now, it's possible that the Roman Empire was like, eh, we ain't worried about this. We don't believe in that kind of stuff anyway. That's possible. But would Mary have known that for sure? Did somebody come and say, ah, don't worry about it, Mary? You know, did they tell the other disciples, ah, don't worry about it, I ain't going to fool with y'all? Man, it's the Roman Empire. These people would search out the most heinous way to kill you and everybody else just to make it clear that we run the world. The Roman Empire ran the world at that time. They were the big dog on the block. You, you didn't mess with them. They had the big gun. They, they figured out every way to make you fear coming against the king, which was Caesar, or coming against the one that they venerated as God. So Mary risks her life for her son. She's there. She sees all of this. She sees her, her son being drugged naked through the street with a crown on his head, with a beating so bad on his back that you couldn't even imagine. They said he didn't even look like a man. He, you couldn't even tell what his visage was, what he looked like. This was the courage and the, 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 the strength and the fact that all of these things that she had gone through and all of the things that, that Gabriel had told her and all of the things that she had witnessed, how strong her faith was in what she believed. Now, Mary could have made a decision as she sees her child being beaten. Think on this. Mary could have made a decision that, hey, I don't want my son to die. Nobody wants their son to die. Nobody would make a decision and say, well, you know, yeah, I know all of this, but if he dies, so be it, right? Mary walked this whole thing through, knowing that it's possible that she could have been drugged through the street too, just to make this a little bit more known for y'all, that Caesar is God. If you remember, there were three labels above Jesus when he died. I think one was in Greek, one was in Hebrew, and the other, I don't remember right now, but there were three signs in three different languages above his head. They wanted to make it clear, not just to the Jews, but to everybody, that, hey, we're not playing. So if you're found in this, even though we didn't find you, these Jewish people that we're trying to keep in good with, you know, make sure that y'all good because we're trying to Make sure y'all good in your territory, that y'all know this is what's going on. Mary risked her life. She could have gone back when all of this stuff that she was seeing happened to her son. She could have gone back and said, well, look, you know, this whole being born, you know, Holy Spirit, eh, that didn't happen. 
You know, all of this stuff is just a part. He ain't God. That's just my son. It's Carpenter's son. And possibly had gotten him out of it. But she made the decision, and she trusted God so much so. Think about it. A mother's first son going through all of those things. The only thing that would have kept Mary focused on the goal is that, one, she said that she was God's handmaid, that she would keep firm in what she believed. And back then when you made a vow, that vow was solid. It's not like now where you say, hey, man, I'm going to do this, and then you call them. No, you don't call them. You send them a text and say, eh, I ain't going to be able to do that. Sorry. That's how we handle business now. Back then, when you talked to God, there was a different reverence for God. I remember just in my little lifetime, you know, being at, I remember, because we were at church all the time. The, the rough guys, man, they walk across with their boom box, they'd be cussing, man, blah, 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 blah. And usually, and I, I saw this, two guys, and the dude smacked the guy, hey, hey, man, turn that music down and stop that cussing. You're in front of the church. Now, these were the rough guys. This is how it was. Even they recognized that there was some, pop, that God, you know, you don't play with God. I might not serve you, God. I might not pray, God. I might not do all of that stuff. I might not believe in all of the religious stuff, but I, I, I ain't messing with you because you God, and I know something bad can happen. As we used to say, you know, God, strike you down. We used to believe that. I mean, certain things you just didn't do because you didn't want God to strike you down just on the, on the, on the sneak tip, you know, because you were doing something wrong. But Mary believed so firmly that what God said was true, that she, was able, that she decided that, hey, I'm going to put it all on the line. If they get me, they get me. Because I believe what God has said. I believe that God birthed in me the Messiah of the world, the Savior of the world. That was her, that was her true belief. Because she could have done some things to say, hey, y'all don't need to do that to my son. He's he just crazy. Just, just get I know y'all beat him a little bit. Bring him off to the side. But he, he don't need to go through that. I don't want to see this anymore but she allowed it. And not that she could have physically came and stopped him, but it's possible there were some things that she could have done because she saw the direction that things were going in, but she had to stay firm to what it is that God had called her to. She had to overcome her fear. So I asked the question of all of us, and we don't have to answer right now, but give it some thought. What are those things, like Mary, that we had to consider and say, even when we were fearful, what are those things that we have to go through, that we have to suffer through for God? Not just for ourselves, not for our job, not for money, but when were there things that we had to do that? And are we making that resolve right now? Because, see, Mary couldn't make the resolve right there at that time. Her decision had to be made long before that, that I believe, even when she thought, you know, she didn't know what was going on when Jesus was at the temple, and was lost for three days, all of these things had to come up in her heart because the, the fear that she had of losing Jesus when he was in the temple had to, be, had to be similar and maybe less, probably less, when she's sitting here watching her only son die, being crucified, executed. She, she had to have so much faith that, like Abraham and Isaac, you know, when Abraham brought Isaac up the, up the mountain and had the knife and was going to sacrifice him. Abraham was, was sure that even if I kill Isaac, God's going to bring him back up. That didn't happen. 
But in the same way, Mary had to know that, hey, Jesus, if he dies, I don't know what's going to happen, but God, I'm going to trust you. I'm sure she hoped that he would be brought back after those three days. But she had to have an immense amount of trust that God would do what he said he would do. Can you only imagine Mary's pain? Can you imagine the bravery that she had in order to go through all of these things? It's, to me, it's, it's phenomenal. And I never really gave, you know, Mary is one of those figures in the Bible that sometimes, especially as a Protestant, as a person that, you know, believes this, but we don't delve sometimes real deep into who Mary was. You know, we look at Paul, and rightfully so, and we look at all of the Moses and many of the other figures, Jacob and Joseph and all of these people we look at. But sometimes we don't think about Mary, and, I, and, and for me, what it has done, it has helped me in reading the, the, the Word of God and making it more real about the things that take place in the Bible. I challenge each of us as we go through and we read our Bible and we seek God to try to find out a little bit more about those funny names in the Bible that we just pass over, that I just pass over. Uh, try to find out what does this mean? Get your, pull your phone up. I, I, I'm constantly pulling my phone up, checking, what does that mean? And then it takes me to something else. Drag out your concordance, look through it. Try to find out more about the real meaning of what some of this stuff says, because if we do, you know, the word is living, it's breathing. It, even though you've read it a hundred times, there's still applications for that many times that we skip over or we miss because sometimes we just look at it as, uh, you know, I read that already. Read it, delve into it, research it. Recognize that Mary, what she did, and I'm getting ready to close here and I don't plan on doing closing three times, but recognize that what Mary did in, in, in delivering and setting an example for her son by being steadfast. Now, she, she set an example as a parent. She could not do or accomplish what Jesus did. Only Jesus could do that. I said that earlier. But we also recognize that what she did kind of foreshadowed what Jesus did in the fact that, you know, she, she was a representative of what happened on the cross, that faith that she had to have that same faith we need to have. And also, again, we don't venerate her, we venerate Jesus, but we also recognize that God used her for a specific purpose. God will use each of us for a specific purpose if we allow him. We may not have an angel come to us and tell us this, that, and the other, but again, God hears us, our heart speaks to us, and God speaks to our heart. So it is incumbent upon each of us to develop that relationship so that when God is speaking to us, those things that God has for us to do, we do, okay? So with that said, I'm going to go ahead and close. I hope that each of us got to know Mary a little bit better. Um, and with that, we're going to pray uh, and um, we'll, we'll shut it down. So we want to, again, thank all of our uh, people that are with us online. I thank everyone that is here today. I know that uh, many people are doing different things with the new year. Um, we're thankful to God for, for seeing us through. And for some of us, you know, and for all of us, many of us, you know, we've had some, some different things and some challenges, but God is still good. And 23 was still a good year because God is still on the throne 
and we still have an opportunity to serve him and to, uh, to keep his commands. Amen? Amen.